Disrupting Japan, Episode 12. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening. Today we sit down and talk to Hiroshi Asada, founder of Beat Robo, and we chat about music sharing, robot avatars, maid themed hair salons, and how getting caught in between two cultures can give an entrepreneur a real edge. In the interview, you can hear but not see Hiro and I handling these plug air devices. So, to help you visualize what's going to be going on, but without giving too much away, the plug air are small plastic devices that plug into an iPhone's headphone jack. They range in size from as small as a fingernail to about five centimeters.、Uh, they come in all kinds of colors and they're shaped anything from、uh, simple squares. To cute robot looking things. Now, before we get to the interview, I want to share an insight with you. Or more accurately, I suppose,、uh, an insight about an insight. A number of guests, and some others as well, have told me that Japanese feel more comfortable speaking directly, openly, and honestly when speaking English than they do when speaking Japanese. Now, I had developed a wonderful theory. About how the language we speak affects our thinking and how being exposed to different languages can change the way you approach problems. And, well, there may be some truth to that, but I realized that wasn't the main thing. The fact of the matter is, when you're speaking in a second language, you have no choice but to be direct. Outside your native language, You really can't do subtle nuance or evasion or cleverly change the question with a joke. So you pretty much just have to answer the damn question as best you can. But hey, that makes for some great interviews. So let's get right to this one. Okay. Ready to get started? Yep. So cheers. Cheers. So I'm sitting here with Hiro Asaida of Beat Robo. And it is a pretty cool music playlist sharing with awesome little robot avatars. <laughs> But you're going to be able to explain this much better than I can. So, can you give everyone an introduction to what Beat Robo is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, our company is Beat Robo. What we are focusing now is actually another product. Okay. So, you know, And this is the Plug Air? Yes, that's Plug Air. So, But our company is still Beat Robo、uh, because we started with that. And, That's a great name. You know, we, we actually love, we love the concept. I mean, well, let's talk about what Plug Air is. Okay, so Plug Air is a physical gadget.、Uh, it's a technology that we have invented two years ago. The concept is that you just plug it into your phone and you could get music or you could get video or you could get any kind of digital content. So, I'm, so, this is unfortunately audio only, but I'm, I'm、mm -hmm. sitting here staring at, at a half dozen of these little devices.、Mm -hmm. And they're just a small couple of centimeter cube, one centimeter cube that plug into the phone jack of an iPhone or an Android device, right?、Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And there's no. Is there... Well, it's all works on the iPhone.、So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, this is how it works there's an app right here, and you just plug it in. You snap it in. Right. And that's all you need to do. So, the content will load inside the phone. It's done. Now you get like a whole album of like music, songs, links, PDF files, all this stuff. Now, I take it this is more than just a, a removable 
drive of sorts, right? So, I mean, I've loaded up this little, and, and we'll put a picture up on the website so everyone mm-hmm. knows what we're talking about. Yeah. So if I load a video or a, a set of songs onto this, uh, I can share it with as many people as I want, or do I have to have the device connected to the phone to have it, have it work? Yeah, so uh, it's a really good question. The content provider can control how they want to distribute it. Oh, okay. So like, if you think it as a CD, uh, you know, CDs are copyable. You can like, give it to somebody else and like, you know, share it as much as you want. Uh, if you make it that way, uh, it will work that way. So I can plug it into mine, get 10 songs, plug it into yours, get, give you 10 songs. The content can be bound to the physical device or it can be just a matter of distribution. Exactly. Awesome. So the controllable thing is I can have 10 songs, you can have three songs. Or the people I share will get three songs. Or I, you get 10 songs, but you can only listen to it for three days. Right. Like, and you just plug in, there's no password, no logins. It's just exactly. connects. That's, that is, that's the concept. It's really cool and... Audio podcast can't really do it justice, so <laughs> we'll have to get everyone onto the site to check this out. But one thing I want your opinion on, do you think people connect more with physical goods in a digital age? Because I've just got a feeling mm-hmm. if, if someone, we all have dozens of our friends sharing videos with us on Facebook mm-hmm. every day, but we don't watch them, at least I don't, you know. But I've got a feeling if someone handed me this physical device and said, oh, you've got to watch this put it into your phone, I think I'd do it. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, the reaction you're seeing as well? Yeah, so yeah. it's like, if it's one-to-one, and you're already friends, and you're already on Facebook, and you already know the account, and you already use the same app, that's when it's easier. That's why social networks are so strong, right? right. It's like, oh, we don't have to think about the connection of people. What I can do here is that even if I don't know the person's email address, or if I even don't know their name, I can give this to them, and they can get it. Now, you've been working with uh, Lawson's, yes. which is one of the largest convenience store chains here in Japan. How have they been using this technology? Because that's obviously taking it a step beyond the two friends sharing, sharing playlists. Lawson HMV Entertainment runs uh, Lawson Ticket, the ticket master of Japan. Why, why we partner with them is because they have the channel to distribute physical content. Yeah. What exactly is, is going through that channel now? So, How are they distributing these? How are they using it? Uh, one big case study is partnering with a concert. Lawson was in charge of uh, distributing the concert tickets right. to the fans at, when they buy it. So we partnered with one of the largest uh, bands known in Japan, which mm-hmm. is called TM Network. And every person buying, uh, when a person buys a ticket, we gave a plug air to them as an exclusive a giveaway. Okay. The plug air device contained a, a couple of songs? They, they contained a message from the band, special video, reviewing all the music that's going to be, the, that's going to be played. And they also had like all these, they updated that. Okay. Like, you know, days before and after the concert. Oh. So the special thing about plug air is that we can update the, the cloud side, which would actually change what's inside the gadget. All right. Okay. So it's updating not, ne- not only what's on the phone, but what's it stored inside the, mm-hmm. the physical device yes. as well. That's really cool. Well, actually, let's back up a bit, because you started, before the Lawson's arrangement, mm-hmm. you did uh, an Indiegogo campaign yes. with Lincoln Park yes. using this device. Yes. And there's got to be a story behind that. 
So we actually did a project together before that. Really? So they okay. were they were the uh, the headliner for Summer Sonic in Japan mm-hmm. uh, in 2013. Uh, it was like Metallica and Linkin Park. Well, like I was at my our investor's uh, office one day, right? Like doing some like a talk at an event, and the business guy, those like the the vice president kind of guys were like visiting Japan for Summer Sonic, but was meeting people in the startup industry. Okay. So I was there, and like my investor was like, Hey, Hiro, come over. I remember you speak English. <laughs> this guy is the VP of Linkin Park. I was like, oh, I know that band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, how big was your company at that point? It's like five, six people. Cool. And I always had one of my... Prototypes because I would we never hope you it, do. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't in the mass production or anything. We had like two devices working that we made handmade, and we printed out with a three D printer. So like we did that and we showed it, and they they got excited. It's like oh, this is the next USB. They like understood it so quickly. I was even surprised. I was like, why do you even understand that so quickly? That was like my first question I did to them. The interaction. The, the physical concept, uh, the fans wanting something to take home after the concert. So you suddenly had to go from a handful of handmade prototypes mm-hmm. into production yeah. in how long? Two months. Two months. It, it's, Way to go. it's a nightmare. It was a nightmare. <laughs> well, no, I was okay. I was like, oh, let's do it. Let's sell it. Oh, we just need to make 5,000 of these. Like, no, it, that's, that's not what was happening. It's like, where are we going to make this first? <laughs> we need to go to China. Like, that's... That's so what did you do? Did you get on? Did you get on the internet? Did you get on a plane? How did so you source the, this stuff? Uh, so while, when we were working on this, uh, the what do you call it, the circuit board and stuff? Right. Like we had one company who was the agent. We had an agency that was providing the chips, and we were like, "Hey, do you know any company that we can you can trust?" Yeah. And they were like, "Oh yeah, we have one company that we work together, and we buy things from them." And it was like, "Oh, let's go meet them." So like, no English is going on, <laughs> but. We decided to trust them and order the units. And how did the project turn out? It actually was successful. That's what I hear. <laughs> it, was like, yeah. it was like lucky, five lucky things like going on at the same time. Everybody told us, like, oh, if we mess up on the mold, it'll take like another two weeks to rebuild the mold. And but stuff. that's, that's what with every challenging project, isn't yeah. it? There's... there's 20 things have to go right to make mm-hmm. it, to pull it off, and yeah. one thing has to go wrong to yeah. screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> so the lucky thing happened, everything went well. Yeah. Plus, well, we, we were, I should say, a total tech web startup. So it was like, oh, we can just launch it, and if something's wrong, we'll just work 24 hours and fix the bug. Like, yeah. that was how we used to work. Now we do hardware. It's like, yeah, so hardware is a little different. It's, you can't just so different. push a patch out. Yeah. That's, that's what we tried to do and I was like oh okay uh, one mistake and we'll wait another three weeks for the fix right. was like what we found out so I think that having that over your head makes you pay more attention to quality and probably results in a much better product in the end yes let's see B-Robo, you founded in 2012 mm-hmm. right and yes. you pretty pretty much from the get-go you were aggressively going global Yes. Right. Yes. You were at the um, the Consumer Electronics Show yes. in the States your mm-hmm. first year. Mm-hmm. And why did you decide to to spend the money and make the effort to like go after the U.S. market instead of uh, doing what 
frankly, most Japanese mm-hmm. companies do, which is uh, focus on the easier sells mm-hmm. here in Japan. My passion only starts from something that nobody else but I would or could do. Okay. So it's like, oh, yeah, let's make some Japanese edition of Uber. Right? right, right. It's like, oh, yeah, like somebody else could do it. So I never get excited when you can actually see what's going to happen. But I think that is, that's a really useful insight, I think, to a lot of people who want to start up companies is look at whatever collection of skills you as an individual have. Mm-hmm. You might be good at three different things and find out where they overlap and, and that's the company you should start, right? If you have some experience, it's way more easier for you to actually make it successful. But my passion was... I need to accomplish something that's worth spending my life.、Mm-hmm. So I'm in this really strange position. My parents are both Japanese. They're pure Japanese. So I speak English the best in our family, probably. I grew up in New York until I was 12. I came back to Japan. You know, I'm treated as American, right? Even right. if I speak Japanese. If I go to America, I'm treated as a Japanese. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I was like, neither of them. So I was like, one, the person in the middle. Like trying to adjust to both sides. But the interesting part was that there also is a value there. Finding out if I stand in the middle,、mm-hmm. it's like, oh, th- this is what I could see. There's a point of view that、it's, nobody could see. It's unique. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting point because I think foreigners or you know, expatriates, people who've moved to a different country,、mm-hmm. are. Uniquely suited to spotting those differences, to spotting those opportunities. They have a different perspective. In, in San Francisco, a huge number of founders are from outside the US.、Mm-hmm. There's a lot of foreigners in the Japanese startup scene that are helping drive it. And so that's how you found your unique value. I、act? first thought I was lost, or I thought I was, like, thought like I was not needed by anybody. So I was <laughs> like, oh, I need to be Japanese. I need to be a pure Japanese. Or I need to try to be an American and like, start living in the US and not、mm. speak Japanese at all. And neither like, one of those worked out too well? Well, I, it's, that, didn't, that didn't make me happy. All right. One thing that I liked the most was Nintendo. Okay. <laughs> Tough to make a career out of. So it's like, what is something that is, is in the global market but started in Japan and has a Japanese identity?、Mm-hmm. It works around the world. For example, there is no tutorial for Super Mario. Okay. But on the stage one, one,、uh, the first three screens is like a tutorial. Oh, okay. All right. So how it starts Mario starts from the bottom left, which means you can't walk to the left. Imagine if Mario starts so very, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Like, really well thought out things、yes. that you don't notice. Yes. Unless you know what you're looking for, right? It was so well designed, and it works not just for Japanese people, right? It works for everyone. It yeah, it's universal.、Everyone. Yeah. So, I wanted to make something that becomes universal, but from the heart of a Japanese mindset. So, I speak English like this, but I'm like a Japanese guy, and who. Who loves Japan so much? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I get it, man. So, this makes it makes more sense. The simplicity of, of、mm-hmm. this device I have in my hand. Yes. It's, it's obvious what you do with it. You put it in the headphone jack. Yes. And then what I saw happening on the screen was, was intuitive, obvious, needs no explanation action. All right. That's the thing that you know, I'm having fun. It's like, oh, yeah, I can give a USB stick to my grandma. She will not use it. 
I will send a Dropbox link to my grandma. She will not use it. If I give this and say, just plug it in. She will. She will. Awesome. Well, listen, I mean, before you founded mm-hmm. um, Beat Robo, yep. you, you had a couple yes. of virtual reality companies you were involved with, mm-hmm. right? So was this a, a kind of a natural transition for you? Uh, yes and no. I was, uh, my, first, well, my first company was a hair salon. Yeah, that was the, <laughs> um, the, the made-themed yes, hair salon. Exactly. Actually, That's, let's talk about that one sure. for a minute. That's, uh, I, 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 I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a couple of questions about that so it was when i was 22 uh-huh uh, it was 2005 i was in graduate school talking with my friends and we were like we don't want to work <laughs> it's like it's that's like, why you're in graduate it's like, school <laughs> it's like it's like it's like it's like very honestly it's not being any any in a positive way it's like why can't we just not work and like play games for the rest of our lives. What, what is a made-themed hair salon? <laughs> I mean, I've got a picture in my mind, but I have no idea how accurate that picture is. So it started from my complex thing. So I had, like, very different hairstyles all the time uh-huh. uh, when I was in college. So I had, like, an afro hair I did. Okay. Um, I did have an afro hair. I'm having I was, trouble I used to, like, doing that, but okay. I'll show you. I'll show you yeah. later. So I, I, like, did, like, street dance and stuff. So I had like many hairstyles. So I remember those days when I was at a hair salon and the hair, like the stylists are so fashion people. Like it was so uncomfortable for me because they talk about the newest, you know, hip hop songs, whatever. Right, right. And I never listen to them. I like to play games or I like to read comics. But if I talk about that, they'll treat me as a dork. So I pretend that... To be hip. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, this is why... Nerds and geeks don't like haircuts. All right. I see where you're going with this. So I was like, okay, let's make a one that has a concept where it's comfortable. So it's like, oh, a place where you could talk about comics, mangas, animes. And you get a haircut. And you get a haircut. And you're comfortable. Then we start talking like, it's like, it was like brainstorming. It's like, ah, that needs to be an Akihabara. Yeah. Akira. (laughs) Yes, if you lived in your hometown the whole time, you'll have your favorite barber. And you'll go there like for 30 years, 40 years. But if you move out... If you live somewhere else and you move into Tokyo, the toughest thing is to find your dentist and your hairstylist. All right. Okay, that's when people give up and go to the closest barber from your house and you don't talk or you sleep. Right. You go to the $10 haircut. So, that's like Akihabara, men, geeks, nerds, manga, anime. Okay, we need a woman stylist wearing a maid (laughs) costume so people can joke it. Yeah. And make a reason saying, oh, I'm just joking around. Yeah, but you got to get your hair cut somewhere. So what was was the reception? What was the reaction? What did people think of it? It worked from the first month. So the cool thing thing about the business... It's still in operation? It's in the 10th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) That's awesome. Yes, it's in the 10th anniversary. Uh, It's been very successful. It's one of the oldest made style businesses in Akihabara. Do you, do you have imitators now? Are there other uh, they, made hair salons? There were. There were. We, actually really? have, we actually have a trademark oh my God. made hair salon. <laughs> Boy, I had no idea this was a business niche. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But you, you have started a series of companies. Yes. Um, I started my first company in Japan back in 98, mm-hmm. 1998. And the attitude towards startups was totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more accepting now. I work with a lot of students, especially who say they want to want to start a startup. They want to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. 
but most don't. So you, you've had a, a string of companies. What do you think keeps most people back? Well, like, you, like what I felt when I first won was like you're treated as a loser if you don't get hired by a good company. So you think that a lot of people think that you started a startup because you couldn't get hired anywhere else? Yeah. Really? Even do you think that's still true? I now? mean, well, you're you're treated as like one of the crazy people. Okay. You know, the awkward, like the social people will have friends, will have girlfriends, you know, hang out with each other, go to sports, go on a trip, go to barbecue, go to snowboard, uh, snowboarding, whatever. So you and think there's still a little bit of a stigma about? I I think there is. There is. Okay. I don't know. Things have changed. You know, I've been in the startup thing for ten years. Yeah. I'm getting to become the old guy now, older guy. <laughs> I go meet people, you know, you meet your college friends once in a while, right? Right, right. Like, you can't talk with them in the same way. What's different? I don't know. When they talk about salary, they talk about how much they're paid. When you talk about salary, you talk about how much you pay, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's true. It's you're on the other side of Payday. That. Yeah. Payday is like, you know, a scary thing. Well, I, I remember when... Um, Digital Garage bought my first mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. I would still get stressed out around payday, just instinctively. <laughs> I, I, it took me like three months to realize, like, oh wait, wait, no, someone else is paying the salary. I don't have to worry. But yeah, for years it was, oh my god, payday's coming up in in two weeks. <laughs> I better go out and sell something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For the students, I think it's much more easier because there is a successful, there are more successful people. I think like Taizo Song is one of like the most successful people. Oh, absolutely. Meaning, a guy who never worked in a company and is still living. Well, now you went through the uh, Movida Incubator, didn't you? Uh, yes. Okay. What did you think of that? I liked Taizo Song. Yeah. So I, I respect people who uh, I want to be. So okay. it's like I never worked in a company before. You know, Taizo is now like forty, whatever. I forgot his age, but. He's been doing this his whole life, and now he's like one of the richest people, right? So is he still very? Is he personally involved in the the incubator companies? Uh, I don't know for the last year or so, but mm-hmm. he's he's always like what do you call the visionary. You know that's refreshing to hear. Um, so many of the incubators and almost all of the VCs in Japan are dominated by uh, finance guys. Very few startup guys mm-hmm. or. Startup girls mm-hmm. that, that are part of these groups. It's mm-hmm. refreshing to hear that that he is hands on that way. He's he's not hands on. He's not. I said oh, okay. I said he's a visionary. Oh, okay, I see. So <laughs> he leads the whole community. He leads the passion. He will always keep on moving forward. Well, what was the most valuable thing you got out of that incubator? Uh, Movida. I actually liked. Uh, that they were different. They were like most different, but they were the most different compared to so? any VC. Uh, they weren't running for money. They were trying to build an ecosystem. So they, he was what careful in, in assembling a portfolio of companies. Were they complementary or? They said they wanted to be the Silicon Valley of Asia or something. Okay. But everybody says that. Yeah, that didn't affect me in any way, (laughs) honestly. Uh, The way to think was closer to my idea. Like, to become global from the beginning, to not think about Japan, to make something big, you need to think big. So it was very supportive and and people who understand big dreams and big visions. Yes. The fact that you've started several startups here in Japan, um, 
What advice do you have for、uh, young Japanese who want to start a startup now? Why do they want to do a startup? <laughs> That's a very good question. Like, I think a to, lot of them don't know. I'm actually interested in what they would say. I mean, you're never safe, you're not rich for a couple of years where you could make enough money and enjoy your life. Yeah. You'll have no Saturdays and Sundays. What's the biggest surprise that new founders face? How is the reality different from the image of entrepreneurship in people's heads? It's like a music band.、Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I know. Well, Linkin Park, which is our,、uh, I'll just say that because it's our <laughs> client. Yeah, it's、absolutely. like, oh,、That's、yeah,、awesome. Lady Gaga,、uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah, I can sing better than him. But there's like a million bands who think that way. But there's only one Michael Jackson. Yeah. Right? So I think that's how startups work as well.、Uh, it's like, yeah, yeah, this is Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. He's as young as me. I can do better than him. So they think, they, they think startups are like the social network movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, but it's the, thing, the thing is, there, there are successful companies, but there, there, there probably is like another million companies who try to do Facebook. I, I think that's, Even that's a really、them. good point. I mean, it, it's.、Um, Like music or, or athletes、mm-hmm. or anything like that.、Mm-hmm. People see the successful 1% or half of 1% or whatever the number、yeah. is and think, oh, that's me. Yeah. And then you could think you could become them, but there are like a decent amount of people who failed and that you will never know and never see. Hmm. And so you think that's because just a lot of people underestimate the amount of behind the scenes work. Or is it just a, a numbers game that people don't see until they're in the middle of it? Nobody, I, think, I think nobody sees what's in between. They only see the successful things. And、yeah. after there's a book out, you only see like, the story that's made up after yeah. the success. Yeah, and I've always kind of wondered about some of those,、yeah. those stories. It's,、um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, I, I knew that was coming. Like, of course not. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, if somebody wants to do a startup, I would tell them not to make a company, but to think about something they want to accomplish.、Hmm. And if a company is a solution for that, you should make a company.、So、That's, that makes a lot of sense. So, a, a, the company is a means to an end,、mm-hmm. it's not the end. It's not the end.、All、like,、right. being, you can become a CEO by just paying $3,000 to the Japanese government. Yep. And you're a shacho. So. And so, this is the reason you're not opening up 10 made cafes all over. Exactly.、Japan. So,、yeah. that was when I was in college, graduate school. So, I was like, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Yes, I do have the passion and I do have the vision. I even thought of making a school. A school? Yes. For, for、uh, introverts, hairstylists. Okay. <laughs> Boy, you're just a niche guy, aren't you? You're just like, find that vertical. It's, it's like, we'll, we'll have. Our maid hair salons everywhere around Japan.、Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't something that I, well, I thought, I thought I could do something more,、yeah. you know, something bigger. It, you've been very successful selling overseas.、Uh, do you have any advice for Japanese companies who want to go global, who want to address foreign markets? I would say start global from the beginning because it's really, really tough to change after. We started from like five Jap- well, three Japanese people. We added three more Japanese people. And like, when it comes to that stage, it turns into something like, why do we have to speak English? Well, you guys are quite international now, right? Yes.、Yeah, so the guy we,、uh, that joined after that was a Finnish guy. 
uh-huh. uh, which is Auntie, who is our COO. And if we add like three more Japanese people who only speak Japanese, like people will start making fun of people speaking English. Ah,、oh, right, right. That happens. So it's like,、yeah. hey, why do we have some speaking English? Like, so now they're forced to, or they can't we, get the、yes, work done. We forced our culture to become global. Then we hired a Taiwanese girl.、Mm-hmm. Then we hired an Indonesian guy. Yes, there we have to work on the communication all the time, but basically we try to talk in English, and、right. that culture will actually bring more、uh, global-minded people, international-minded people into the company. But this is like、that、still trying.、Sense. No, but that makes sense. I mean, just、um, I think it goes back to the idea you were saying before that you being sort of between two cultures,、mm-hmm. America and Japan, kind of gave you a different insight, different way of looking at things. Having that international staff、mm-hmm. gives your whole company a slightly different way of looking at thing and things, and will open it up to some new insights.、Yes. For people who over,、uh, who hasn't started their company yet, I would recommend them to start global. Our company is a Delaware company, right?、Um, so we could get investment from the largest VCs in five years. But your your current investors are mostly from Japanese. Japan, yes, all Japanese. All Japanese, but they signed an English contract. Ah,、oh, good for you. Our Series A contract is two hundred page English contract. <laughs>、oh, so when they、God. do due diligence, <laughs> even Sequoia Capital can read our contract in English. So oh man, way to go! They won't be like, oh, I don't want to be involved in Japanese stuff and translating. All these Japanese laws, like using a lawyer. So and so, they, they, the Japanese companies weren't. Did they push back and say we want Japanese contracts? Of course, but not hard enough so that they didn't sign it. I I said no. <laughs> All right. I said no. I said no. We have to do this. And you've got these are not like small VCs. You've got some really good names on your yes, investor they, list. They're very helpful as well. Before we wrap up. Do you have any questions you want to ask me, or another topic you want to talk about that I haven't we haven't covered yet? What makes you happy to live in Japan? Ah, um, let me tell you just about、yeah. the reason. Because I think rather than hiring people in the U.S. today, I I I see so many talented people in Japan. We are currently successful in hiring them. Yeah, and we are actually being able to change it. I think there is, in fact.、Um, I'll send you a link. I wrote an、mm-hmm. article about this exact subject、oh. in Atmark IT a few months ago,、mm-hmm. saying that right now, on average, programmers in Japan produce higher quality software than programmers in San Francisco, and that got a lot of、um, notice. <laughs> let's say, but I, I stand by it totally. But the reason that I, I stay in Japan, I like Japan, is it, it's complicated. I like to say it's a love-hate relationship with、mm-hmm. Japan.、Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've I've been here over twenty years,、mm-hmm. uh, longer than me. <laughs>、uh, and I've thought about moving back to San Francisco a number of times, but every time I'm about to pack up, some interesting new project pops up, and there's just some exciting thing that's happening, and I, and I decide to stay a few more years. And you know, I've started four companies here,、mm-hmm. and maybe it's a lot of what you were talking about before. The secret to Success is finding that overlap of skills you have.、Mm-hmm. Over the years, one of those overlapping skills of mine has been understanding the Japanese market and selling new technology in Japan. It's a lot of fun.、Mm-hmm. I, I think Japan has got this wonderful commitment、mm-hmm. that customers and vendors have to each other.、Mm-hmm. 
that the U.S. has kind of lost a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think especially recently, with the emphasis on minimal viable product and quick pivoting, you've got developers and things who don't even think about the customers. And I, I, I basically, you know, I'm Japanese, so I, I, I get all the, the context of your, what you're saying. Yeah. Like I, so, like, what I like about Japan is about the efficiency. Yeah. The people are, like, the customer service is high level because the customers are at least in somewhat high level. Do you know when you get on Narita Express? I mean, the uh, the bus, the limousine bus yeah. from from Narita. They put all your stuff in, and when the bus leaves, they all bow. Yeah. When you're on the plane, the people, the ground, the staffs will like be waving, saying goodbye to you. Like, and that's like I, there, a there rule. Is one thing, I, I, it just occurred to me, but I mean, I've, yeah, I've thought yeah. it for years that I, I do deeply, deeply admire about Japanese culture and society is. There is this unwavering commitment to excellence mm-hmm. of, of being a little bit better and getting it just right. Uh, friends of mine out, they, they, they were out in Western Japan because mm-hmm. uh, his wife is from there. Yeah. And there's this little soba shop in this town. And the guy's been making soba and running this restaurant there for like the last 60 years. Sometimes he makes the soba and it's not up to his quality. And he doesn't open for the day. <laughs> and there's a sign in front of the store saying, sorry, it didn't turn out today. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> Which is just amazing. <laughs> I love that. That would not happen in any country except for Japan. And it's really good soba from what I understand. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The perfectionist thing. Yeah. Yes. You know, the it, craftsmanship. It's, and commitment to craft, I, I think, is wonderful in Japan. Like we, yes, we are a U.S. company. Yes, I speak English. I do want to become a, you know, one of those Silicon Valley stuff. But, you know, thinking about what will actually work, it might be not the U.S. is right. what I'm kind of thinking sometimes. Huh. Well, listen, thanks a lot for Thank sitting down so with me. I have no idea how I'm going to edit this down to <laughs> any reasonable length. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. And we're back. I found it interesting that Hero a Japanese founder who spent many years in America, and I, an American founder who spent many years in Japan, admired exactly the same things about Japanese society and business culture. The unwavering commitment to excellence and the mutual commitment that vendors and customers feel for each other. I mentioned an article I wrote where I explain why, on average, Japanese programmers produce higher quality software than their San Francisco counterparts. We don't have time to go through all the details right now, so I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The article's in Japanese, but if there's enough interest, I'll reverse translate it into English and publish it again. If you want to see the links and the resources that Hiro and I talked about during the interview, or get in touch with him on social media, go to disruptingjapan.com, show zero. 12, and you'll find all of that and more in the resource section of the post. Leave a comment and let us know what you think about Beat Robo or about made-themed hair salons. And if you have an idea on how to improve the show or know someone who we should be talking to, send us an email at feedback at disruptingjapan.com. But most of all, thanks for listening and for your support and for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about disrupting Japan. This is Tim Romero, and thanks for listening.